Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. We are in flux at this point, um, moving away from teaching sailing and the whole water sports center stuff to then going out and doing a big restoration project on an old, old sailboat. And now we are hitting the road. Starting today, I already did one talk uh, for the public uh, in my small town of Petoskey, Michigan. It was nice, a real uh, tiny little crowd, and just a nice way to break back into it. It's, uh, it's very different. This summer, I was doing a lot of these presentations for the place that I was working for, so it's sort of a captive audience in a way, and... Uh, now, you know, it's sort of a little more uh, real life where, as, as in the better I do, the better chance I have of getting more gigs and things like that. And, uh, yeah, essentially trying to really just make something out of it. But uh, I'm going to be hitting the road in about three, four hours and headed down to Tawas, uh, Michigan, for uh, a kind of a private show at a yacht club and... Uh, then after that, it's down further into the state, down to Dexter Public Library, and that one is going to be open to the public. That's on the um, 27th, Wednesday. I believe it's at 6. Yeah, 6 p.m. Open to the public. It's free. They got room for about 100, 150 people in that one, I think, something like that, and uh, big screen, everything, so it should be a pretty awesome show, and definitely we're going to be selling the books and all that sort of stuff, but today... Before we get into all that, which hopefully will uh, yield some pretty cool content as far as the podcast and stuff, I, I'm I'm kind of excited to hit the road again, but I'm also kind of like, oh, here we go again, you know, hotel rooms and trying to not eat terrible food and get some exercise and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I know I had a pretty good system for it last time, and it seemed to work out pretty well. We'll just see if uh, if I can continue that this go-round, because we'll be on the road for the next few weeks at least, and hopefully a lot longer, but we will have to see. So, uh, regardless, today I got a great email from James, a uh, fellow West Sale owner, and he essentially was asking about Mongo and... You know, more precisely, I suppose, he was asking about wind vanes in general and their uses and all that sort of stuff. And I don't think I've had like a deep dive into the old wind vane and my experiences, not only with Mongo, but with some of the other types. So that's what we're going to do today. It's going to be pretty fun. I've got uh, actual notes. So it's one of those podcasts where hopefully I stay right on track and don't get too far off into the weeds. But plenty of good stories, hopefully some good insight into the world of wind vanes, of which I do remember when I was trying to figure all that out, before I had bought the boat, uh, I remember scouring YouTube trying to find any and all information. This would have been back in 2013, 14, something like that, and I couldn't find anything that gave me any semblance of real solid information on how to operate these things, the differences between them. 
I mean, it was like a ghost town. So hopefully this one will actually uh, turn into something not too bad. So before we start the show, like I always say, if you want to become part of the Patreon family, which keeps this show going on and on and on, consider following the link and becoming a Patreon family supporter, part of the club that... uh, I think it's right now 51 members strong, and I really appreciate a each and every one of you that uh, has continued to stick with this show for so long. Some of you, uh, Mike Mike D, one of the first uh, Patreon supporters, has been doing it for a very very long time, and I I can't can't even uh, thank you enough. Uh, I don't want to shout every single person out because I'm sure some people want a little anonymity, but uh, definitely if you want to read up on some pretty cool sailing content, hit up sailjunkie.com. It's a nice blog about all sorts of stuff, lots of articles and everything, and uh, all things sailing, so check it out. But other than that, we got the merch stuff. Hopefully, the new shirt's going to drop pretty soon. I've uh, got to get on my little creator who has uh, promised me a a hand-drawn sketch, sort of a, the design of the West Sail 32 that I can throw on the back. I think that one will be pretty cool. Obviously, tailor-made to Mighty Sparrow. But uh, you can follow the link in the description for all the other shirt lines that we have. And then if you want to reach out to the show, sailingintooblivion.com. Come on down to that website, follow the podcast link, and it'll say contact the show, and those go directly to me, and I do read them, and I try my best to cover whatever queries and questions you might have on the show. So without further ado, here we go. Mongo. There's actually, believe it or not, Mongo, the Mongo that is on Mighty Sparrow right now is Mongo 2.0. I originally had uh, an old, old, old Aries wind vane that came with the boat. Uh, but we're going to get into that in, in just a, a second here. But first and foremost, my, my experience wholeheartedly, almost, almost 100% is with the Aries wind vane, uh, an old one and a brand new one. I have fortunately been aboard uh, another Westsail 32 that was using a hydrovane. I have a lot of friends that use those hydrovanes, and I've so I've got a little bit of experience with that. And it's a very, very different type of wind vane as far as how it drives the boat, how it steers the boat, all that sort of stuff. Um, the other one that I've seen but I have not used is the monitor wind vane, but it looks to me as though it is very, very similar to the design of the Aries. Um, as far as the way it sort of connects up to the boat, and then also just, I mean, looking at it, it's just... It's kind of like the shiny version of an Aries wind vane. And then I've only seen a Cape Horn, but I have not utilized one. Uh, my good buddy Scott down there in, in uh, South Carolina, his his West Sail came with a Cape Horn, but we never had it hooked up and put together, so we never actually got to use it. But from what I understand, those things are pretty darn good as well. Um, so today I'm pretty much just going to be speaking 99% on the Aries, but we'll dip into the Hydrovane as well. Um, but I still remember the first the first wind vane that I ever saw, which I was sort of like, what is that and what does it do, uh, was way back, uh, about 10 years ago, when the initial start for the search of West Sail 32s uh, came into fruition. And I actually was in the British Virgin Islands, and one was for sale down on Tortola, 
took a little day trip down to get down there and uh, hopped on this boat and they had the monitor wind vane hanging off the back and I I you know sat and talked to the owner for a little bit and just asked him about it and was kind of curious because I I was under the impression that you'd only use something like that if you were out on the ocean you know sailing for days on end all that sort of stuff you know, you got to hook it up and tune it and all this stuff. Again, back then, I had no idea about any of it. I didn't know how it worked. I didn't know how it steered the boat, any of that sort of stuff. And um, he was, it was pretty cool because he, he essentially, he was like, oh man, I use that thing all the time. Like even just sailing island to island in the BVI, which, you know, you might be on one tack for 30 minutes or, or an hour or something like that. And knowing, that he was utilizing it in that small space, uh, that was kind of like, oh, okay, okay. So this is more like an autopilot, so to speak, and not just some big passage-making sort of uh, piece of kit. And I don't know. I looked at it and it looked decently strong and everything. Um, it was kind of shocking when I came across the Aries, though, and saw how beefy it was the monitors made out of stainless steel, I believe, and uh, the wind vane, uh, the Aries wind vane, is made out of, uh, I believe, it's anodized aluminum. Very, very, very thick, very heavy duty. Um, you feel like you do, well, you probably can do like pull ups off of it when it's hanging off the back of your boat. Uh, and yeah, I remember when I saw that Aries, I was like, whoa, that thing is huge because I saw it off of the boat. Um, you know, you put a little tiny wind vane on the back of a 32-foot boat, it doesn't look so big. You take that wind vane off and put it on a couple sawhorses, and you really get a feel for just how, how large those things actually are, especially when, you know, the rudder is down and the wind blade is connected to it. You know, you're, you're looking at six, eight feet of mechanical device that's maybe two feet wide or something, so it's actually a kind of a sizable thing, but when I went and purchased Mighty Sparrow, one of the things that came with it was uh, Mongo, was the, the Ares Windveen. Now, it was an old one. Um, it had been mounted on the boat previous. One of the really nice parts about the Ares going with the West Sail is the mounting of it is, I would say, unique, maybe. The way that it, it essentially mounts directly to the boomkin, uh, which are the two posts that go out that then connect up the backstay so it doesn't get tangled up uh, in the rudder and tiller and all that stuff, and it moves the backstay aft. It's like it was meant to be on that boat. Size-wise, it just it, it almost like completes it. It's really quite amazing. And uh, I remember it was off of the boat, and it had all the mounting stuff and everything. There wasn't really much of a rundown because the previous owner had never put it on. I think they maybe had taken it off, but they never put it on. And, you know, 12 years had passed in between those those events. And so it was going to be up to me to mount that that wind vane, and, which I kind of was actually a little bit stoked about because, you know, bedding those things properly and knowing how they're hooked in and not just sort of guessing that it's all good. That would come into play much later on in uh, Mongo One's uh, lifespan, which was unfortunately a bit short after I owned it. Um, you know, you beat up those those things that you own uh, for the first time, and then you realize, you know, the the pitfalls of some of the parts, and then you end up uh, either fixing those or at least treating them a little more gently. 
Uh, but yeah, so we ended up putting putting Sparrow in the water, and the wind vane didn't go on for quite some time. It wasn't until uh, I think the the boat went in the water in the end of November. This was back in 2015 or 16. No, 2000 would have been 2016. And uh, yeah, for a while it just sat at this guy's house. I didn't actually put it on the boat. Um, and then eventually uh, my brother Adam came down and he was going to help me bed and essentially get some of the, the rest of everything put back together properly so that we could uh i could sail it down to the virgin islands and this was all from jupiter florida and eventually you know adam comes down and we we look at this thing and we don't there's again there's just not a lot of information and i had never we'd never seen i'd never seen any pictures of an aries on a, a west sail now granted i probably could have done a bit more research and uh seen a picture and sort of realized this but essentially out of the wind vane come two very very heavy duty aluminum pipes you know very very thick super strong and um, these essentially it's like two arms and those are going to get clamped by four big heavy duty clamps right to that boomkin and you know when we were mounting it we're looking at this thing and we mounted it on top of the boomkin so these pipes were on top and it made it very easy to mount it because you could see everything. You could like lay, you know, this it's pretty heavy object. Um, so you hook up a halyard to it and you sort of move it over off the dock and then drop it in to place and then mount it up there and clamp everything. And it's all through bolts and big, heavy, heavy duty, like three eighths bolts and all that sort of stuff. And um, it looked really good, but it also kind of looked a little messy. You know, the arms and these big clamps and all this sort of stuff. It never once occurred to me that we should mount those arms below the boomkin. And so all of that stuff is sort of hidden, and then you have nice, beautiful wood uh, on top. But it was kind of... <laughs> It was kind of interesting because the last time the previous owner came on the boat, that was the first thing he looked at. And he was like, how come you mounted it there? Why didn't you put it underneath? And I just was like, oh, my gosh, uh, because I didn't know any better. And um, that was essentially just about the same day that my old man was coming down, Jim Bob, to help me. Uh, sail the boat down, you know, the 10, 12 day passage from, from Jupiter down to the BVI. And so essentially we went and provisioned and everything, but I knew I was like, I've got to remount this thing underneath, do it proper. And, uh, and then we're going to be good to go. So I, I think I was finished betting Mongo oh, sometime around two in the morning, the day before we left on that trip. It was uh, it was right after Christmas, just before New Year's, and man, oh man, it was like a rush to get everything done and all this sort. Of, oh my God, what a ramshackle! And we paid for it. You know, we you know we were we were in such a hurry. We didn't have the sat phone wasn't hooked up correctly, so we didn't have any communications. We didn't have any weather reports. The engine ended up breaking down. We didn't have a diesel mechanic. Uh, book on board we didn't even have a, a like a kettle for boiling water and I only had one coffee mug like it was ridiculous um how under and ill prepared we were for that trip and it, you know it all falls on me because I'm the the captain of the boat but hey you know what you live and learn right you live and learn but 
in any event, I was able to remount Mongo uh, pretty pretty easily, pretty efficiently because I had just done it a few days before, and everything looked pretty good. Everything got bedded properly, and you know, besides the fact that I still didn't know how to use it, I knew how to hook the so so with the the Aries wind vane. What what it kind of does is it essentially it has a little a rudder in the water and I'll go through a full explanation of how this thing actually works. But, um, the rudder that, that moves in the water is connected directly to the tiller. So unlike the hydrovane, uh, which essentially is its own rudder that steers the boat, you lock your rudder off in the middle. The Aries actually uses the boat's rudder to drive the boat. And, uh, that's one of the things that I really, really like about it because the West sail has a gigantic, very, very heavy-duty rudder, and I kind of want to use that one rather than anything else just because it's uh, it's so beefy, you know, if you're especially in heavier weather and stuff like that and the boat's zooming around down these waves and everything, it's, uh, it's kind of nice to have a barn door underneath there that uh, doesn't let Sparrow get off track too quickly. Uh, but essentially, you know, I knew I knew how to actually just hook it up how to run the lines, but I'd never used one before. And, uh, I knew by that point, just sort of the theory behind it, you know, and essentially, you know, in a nutshell, in a very, very basic way, the way these wind vanes, uh, the Aries, and I believe the monitor, uh, work, or is it, you have a very thin plank of wood, which is the wind blade. And then in the water, and that's that's obviously pointed up in the wind, and in the water you have a rudder. And in between the two you have sort of a servo gear connection, which essentially equates to if the wind blade goes from center to one side, that is going to turn the gear a certain direction, which pivots the rudder, the, uh, the wind blade rudder. And when that pivots, because you're moving forward, that one uses all the strength of its leverage. As it moves over, it's actually attached directly to your tiller. And so the tiller moves, and it's balanced, and it's geared just right so that if if that wind blade falls because you have turned too far downwind, that rudder is going to pivot in the right direction so that it steers the boat back upwind. And then if it goes too far upwind... The wind blade's going to fall the other way. It's going to pivot the other direction, and it's going to steer the boat back downwind. And the amazing thing really is you would think that, well, holy cow, you must just be doing an S-curve the entire time you're out there. You're never on a straight straight track. Well, here's the thing is that it's not like it just does that. The wind blade doesn't just fall completely off to one side and then completely off to the other. It does it in slow increments. And so as it just starts to go off just a little bit i wonder if i'm getting feedback from that i can like hear the springs of this thing i'm hearing something oh i'm hearing that guitar hold on one second there's a guitar that was pointed kind of at me and i don't know if i don't know if the mic picked it up hopefully it didn't Jeez louise but i kept hearing kind of this this feedback reverberation thing and it was from that thing well anyway uh but yeah, and so it, it's not it's 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 essentially like the world's greatest helms person because it's 
it's doing what you want to do, these tiny little motions to sort of counteract. So the boat slowly starts to maybe head a little too far downwind. It doesn't flop over and just try and steer you right back. It just slowly guides you back. And uh, when you have everything dialed in just right and everything is balanced, because you know that, that wind blade is essentially on a nicely oiled little pivot, so there's very little friction there, and essentially it is balanced perfectly with a weight underneath it. So that if you if you put it straight in the middle, if there's no wind at all, you put it right dead straight in the middle, it'll sit there. If you lean it over a little bit, it'll sit there. You lean it over the other direction and let go, it'll sit there as well. So it's perfectly balanced. If you have it unbalanced, which I suppose in some, some ways can actually be better, um, like if it's if if it's bottom heavy, so it wants to get stay up upright and stay straight, that's probably a little bit better for light winds, because in light winds, what tends to happen is, um, you know, you'll you'll head a little too far downwind, the the wind vane will get pushed all the way over, and then it'll just stay there because there's not enough wind to pick it back up. I've had that sort of issue out there and everything, but all in all, that's that's essentially how the whole wind vane works it's it's between this wind blade and then it pivoting the rudder so that the motion of the 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 rudder through the water pivots that over and has a huge amount of leverage and every time that the aries rudder moves it's connected directly to the tiller and the tiller moves as well now you can hook them up to a wheel driven boat um I don't know exactly. That's one thing I don't have any experience with. I don't know exactly how that works in comparison because, I mean, a tiller, you you move a tiller a foot in either direction, which for Mongo is not very hard, um, and that makes a world of difference as far as how the boat is steering. If it's a wheel, I don't know. I, I would assume that it's uh, there's there's got to be some sort of mechanism that makes it so that the normal – the normal uh, shift of of the Aries would spin that wheel like one whole time, one full rotation or something. I, I have a feeling the lines, instead of going directly to the tiller, they're going to go to a much smaller circular sort of uh, um, like a little circle so that it's kind of wrapped around there so that that you know that that way it sort of gears it so if that line pulls like six inches which would be a full rotation on this little wheel it's actually a full rotation on the entire uh wheel as well and from what i understand you know boats up to the 40 foot range uh, use them and they work pretty well so uh, i don't know i mean that's again in my limited experience with the west sail really um as far as using a wind vane and stuff. I don't know how they would work, if they would work really well with much faster boats and things like that. Um, I have a feeling they probably would because you do get really good with it. I mean, in the beginning, uh, I was not very good with Mongo. I was just kind of learning and watching and waiting for something to not go right uh, or fine-tuning and all that stuff. But like anything in this world, practice makes perfect. So you just sort of keep with it. And I didn't really have any other choice. But I was also very mesmerized by how it worked. And it took me a long time to really get it totally dialed into my head. I mean, there were times where I would sit and watch it, like in lighter winds where there's a swell and the wind – 
you know, you'd, you'd come down off a swell and you'd speed up so much that the apparent wind angle would change very drastically. And I'd watch as Sparrow couldn't, or as Mongo couldn't quite keep up with it and then would, would lose it and go off course and all that stuff. And I used to just sit there in that cockpit and I would just watch and I'd watch for hours and how that thing was doing it, just trying to figure it out. Cause unless I could figure it out, and and sort the problem out fine tune it better like that that meant i couldn't go down and go to bed (laughs) so great motivator sleep is out on the sea you know you do just about anything to not have to uh, be there on the boat constantly monitoring 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 especially if it's rainy and cold and and nasty out Mm. oh delicious coffee man i've switched though i didn't i ran out of my favorite brand uh which is mcdonald's uh breakfast blend holy cow i found and discovered that stuff this summer and holy smokes like i never would have thought i never would have thought and i used to drink like i always make my coffee with a french press same one i've been using for for decades now and uh I used to do like Duncan. I never really liked the Starbucks stuff. Um, Duncan was pretty darn good. And then I forget what it was. I think I just was in the grocery store. I was like, man, you know, I gotta try that stuff. Try something new. And I got the breakfast blend and like world changing. So, so good. Oh my gosh. So I'm definitely going to pick some up. When I go on the road, I always have to have a uh um my own ability to make coffee because these the hotels gas station coffee stuff like that when you i don't know when you get into your own groove with it like you do when you're out offshore uh you're gonna you're you get so used to like your brand of coffee you can't ever really swap that up and uh so i don't know i gotta pick some up but i take my jet boil and i take my french press and so i can make it in my room every single morning uh without question without interruption or else i get angry (laughs) um but oh off into the weeds we go hey let's get back on that trail um so essentially that's that's sort of the working mechanism of of the aries and you know it it was one of those things where when jim bob and i headed out we're kind of like well should we give it a shot? We put the sails up. It was a light wind day when we headed out, uh, but soon it was going to turn. We we had essentially just about 24 hours or so, or maybe it was even less, uh, before a pretty nasty like 25 knot northerly was coming down. And so we had to cross the Gulf Stream. We got across that, but we essentially hooked up the wind vane. We were, we were already headed on course. We tie it off or put it through these little jam cleats on the tiller, and we just waited and we held the course and nothing really happened. There weren't any waves or anything like that. And then I think I went up and grabbed the blade and just sort of pushed it one way. We sort of went off course and then I left it alone. It went back the other way and then we we got back on course. And it was kind of like, well, okay. So I think it just sort of works. Um, it took a little while to you know, as the the conditions changed and stuff. Um, But I just remember it being pretty darn bulletproof right from the get-go. It just sort of worked. Um, And essentially, the only maintenance on it, besides just sort of watching it and learning from it, was that there's all the little pivot points and everywhere where you have, like, you know, motion, um, the 
all the connection points essentially those all have to have like a drop of oil every day and you, you know you can use that three-in-one oil you can use sewing machine oil it doesn't really matter um i, th- I know at one point i was using transmission oil uh, but you just got to keep that lubed up or it'll just eat away these very, very like solid uh, plastic bushings that are all over it. And there's a few on Mongo now that are are definitely a little worn out. And what that allows to happen is a bit of clunking and a bit of uh, motion that, you know, more than anything is just a little kind of loud in the boat. Um, but those bushings and stuff can all be purchased and everything. But in any event, uh, so we tested out. It, it basically um, worked really well, and we just sort of kept sailing with it. And when the heavier weather came, uh, it kept working really well then, too. It just kept on going and going and going, and we, we didn't really have much trouble. We had to do fine-tuning here and there and, and all that sort of stuff. But it, it made it pretty easy. Um, some of the, I think the traditional way for the Aries lines to get hooked up to the tiller, there's sort of like you, you'd have some chain, a little length of, of nice, soft stainless steel chain that, that gets hooked in between the two lines. So those are always pretty taut. And then that gets sort of ratcheted into this one little hook that you mount on your tiller. And so you can adjust it, you know, link by link. Um, on Sparrow, though, we have two jam cleats, you know, those black, they look, uh, or actually, no, they look, yeah, jam cleats or, yeah, not cam cleats, so jam cleats. And so you can really fine-tune it down to the millimeter if you really want to. Um, I do need to replace those because the teeth are pretty worn out on them. But So essentially, each line goes into a opposing cleat, and you can tighten it and loosen it and do whatever you want with it um, just to fine-tune because if you, that's one of the weird things you can get, like, let's say you don't have the sails balanced quite right, or you've got a lot of weather helm. And so the boat just, eh, it's always trying to round up a little bit. You can then adjust it so that you correct for that weather helm. So you pull the tiller up a little further, you adjust how the lines. So if it was just dead center sitting there, the tiller would be to windward a little bit when Mongo is basically straight up and down and wanting to go straight so you sort of counterbalance it and I also do that as well when I'm running straight downwind uh, with just the mainsail which works really well on the west sail Um, you know also you can pull out the staysail and all that sort of stuff but the main I don't know it just seems to be a little bit easier it's what I like to do at least and um, that one to prevent it from actually jibing, I will I'll throw it over just a little bit off center, and that allows you just those fine tuning little adjustments and stuff like that. But um, uh, learning how to use no, let me look at these notes. Um, but yeah, essentially, uh, as far as Mongo One goes, uh, we sailed it down there. Took 14 days or so. We got down to the Virgin Islands, and then I utilized it for all the training. I I went back and forth to Dominica, St. Lucia, uh, even tried to get down to uh, Grenada, but got hit by really nasty weather, and it exposed some pretty bad holes and stuff like that, like places that weren't sealed up properly on the boat. So I ended up ducking into, I think, St. Lucia for a second time, but... St. Lucia's great. Rodney Bay. Woo! I'd love to go back there. That is nice. The marina's great. You can get a lot of very, very 
qualified workers come on your boat and uh, do varnish and stuff like that. If you got the money. Um, but in any event, uh, on the final trip, I went and, I went out into the Atlantic for 26 days, came back in. That was sort of a test run. And then I went to Dominica, and then I was going back to the Virgin Islands for the last time before I set sail to go back north to Gloucester. This would have been in May, uh, end of May, beginning of June. And whew, it was crazy. It wasn't super windy by any means. Um, sailing over the Saba Bank, so just south of the island of Saba, and headed towards Virgin Gorda, nice wide open gap, all that sort of stuff, and um, middle of the night, and it's kind of shallow there, and not shallow enough to hit by any means, but to get the, the wave chop up a little bit, but they do have fishing traps, and so I don't know if it was a fishing trap, uh, with the big long line and a buoy that I hit, or if it was just Mongo's time to break a leg. But essentially, all I hear from down below, the sails start flapping. We've gone way off course. Very unusual. Um, I go up on deck. I look back, and Mongo's not there. I can't see it. It's gone. And I'm like, holy cow, oh, my gosh. And then I realize that it is there, but no, no longer is it vertically standing. It is now completely horizontal. So one of the two arms that mount it to Sparrow uh, sheared off. And so it just spun uh, because it balanced out that way. And I was able to spin it back and then lash some spectra, some small spectra line on there you know, with a, a full-on, like, purchase system, like, yeah, crank it in there. And um, and that held for the remainder of, like, 87 miles or something like that to get to Virgin Gorda. I was very, very thankful that that, that all came together pretty well. It was like the nub or something of this little arm. You know, it had, had corroded just down to next to nothing. Um, unbeknownst to me, I couldn't see any of this. And essentially yeah it just let go and snapped but there was the way that it broke there was just enough of like a nub for it to just sit in there so as long as it had pressure on it it wasn't really going to move because you know when when mongo when the the rudder blade moves you know one it's it's just a lot of leverage so it's pushing a lot of torque on that whole thing on both those arms and so those need to be pretty strong but um, we're able to make it through. Luckily it wasn't heavy wind conditions or anything like that. I don't know how it would have been able to do it in those conditions with just that lashing. But when I got back to Virgin Gorda, I ended up drilling out both sections cause it, it was just like solid of just corrosion and all this sort of stuff. And I found a big old half inch thick stainless steel pin you know, from some like mega yacht or whatever. And it was rounded at both ends. And I ended up pinning that together and then lashing it once more. So now it was sitting up and it actually had this pin. So the leverage, the, the, the motion of, of Mongo actually trying to steer the boat, it's now up against the, the good arm and this pin. And then as long as the lashing held and kept Mongo pulled inward, the pin wasn't going anywhere. So that was what I actually sailed back from the BVI up to Gloucester. And we saw some pretty ugly weather on that one. Nothing terrible, but we saw, you know, 
20s, 30 not wins, uh, at least for a little bit as we got away from the Gulf Stream and closer to Gloucester. <laughs> I just, I mean, my, I knew, I knew then for sure that it was going to be time to get a brand new one. And I think that was in the game plan for, you know, essentially got up to Gloucester. Then we took the boat all the way up to Maine. And the plan was to get rid of Mongo one, get a brand new Aries, which I had found out they started remaking and, uh, and start fresh for the trip around the world. And I mean, you know, it was it was interesting all the things we learn about it. I mean, starting out from absolute ground zero, mounting the thing wrong, putting it on correctly, learning about that, uh, figuring out the fine tuning of the mechanics of the actual uh, workability of this thing, and and how it worked and how it dealt with different weather. I think on that initial trip and all those trips, because I think in that. In that season, we probably sailed around 15,000 15, miles or something, 10,000 miles. I can't remember exactly. That was sort of the, the training days before the big trip. And, um, you know, the only thing I never really got good at was sailing directly downwind. I could not. Mongo couldn't do it. I, I just didn't have or, – or Mongo could do it. I just didn't have the sails balanced the right way and everything fine-tuned in the way to make it sort of a, a practical thing. I mean, we would just we would lose our ability to to go. And I had I had messed with making different sort of wind blades. The wind blades on these things are made out of wood, and I thought like, oh man, make those out of like fiberglass or something like that. No, you definitely don't. There's a reason that's made out of wood. It's so it's breakaway and the weight of it. So I made all these different blades, and some of them had wood, some of them had fiberglass on them. The weights were all different, and some of the lengths were different. The shapes were different. I, you know, I was trying to like reinvent the wheel um, in some some form, and it was pretty stupid. Um, I ended up. I mean, well, I shouldn't say it was stupid. I learned a lot about it. There was one wind blade that I had. The blade was like two feet longer than all the other ones, and I thought that one was pretty good because it reached well above the solar panels so there wasn't any blockage of the wind and i feel like that one did kind of work pretty well with super light wind conditions but i mean it looked ridiculous it was super tall skinny um and it kind of bent you know <laughs> i never wanted to stay straight so it looked pretty janky on the old uh on the old stern of sparrow but um you know again it's a learning a process and you know like i tell sailing students and stuff like that it's you know, you got to experiment. You got to play with stuff. Look at it, watch it, play with it, mess with it, screw it up, fix it, all that sort of stuff. That's how you're going to learn. You know, if you just have somebody tell you the right way to do it and that's what you do forever, you, you don't really learn a whole lot technically. You're not exploring the uh, the facets because, you know, don't don't forget. Us instructors, we're just as full of shit as anybody. <laughs> so we don't know the best way to do it. I've learned tons of things from my students. And uh, I will never, the day that I start thinking like, oh, I know it all and nobody can teach me anything. Well, that's when you got to go find something else to do, I think. Uh, but I digress. So we get up to Gloucester. Mongo 1 disappears and Mongo 2 comes into play. Oh, my gosh. I still remember. I came... So you have to order it from the Netherlands, um, somewhere, Netherlands, Scandinavia, I don't know. Um, 
and it comes in this huge bag. I had to pay customs on it. I think all said and told, after shipping, after all that sort of stuff, after having, I think I ordered a second rudder for it as well, a backup. I want to say it came to about $5,000 total. Brand new, everything just ready to go. And it came in this crazy particle board box. And I remember cracking that thing open. And the original Mongo was, like I said, it's aluminum, so it was like gray, and, you know, it had corrosion, all this sort of stuff. That's what I was used to seeing. Open up this box, and this is, like, this beautiful Aries wind vane that the the sort of um, the piping is gray, but it's shiny gray, and then the rest of the housing and the, everything else on it is black, like jet black, and there's these nice like green and red lines that are already run through it and all coiled up oh my god it looked just oh so sexy i was like oh and i knew it was gonna look really good on sparrow um she looks a little more worn these days uh i've unfortunately hit it with uh some different chemicals here and there and so it's splashed up a little bit but you know hey we're all we're all falling apart a little bit right you know you can't uh you can't stay brand new forever but yeah, she looked great, and I was just like, oh man, this time I'm going to mount it correctly. I'm going to do a snip-snap job. It's going to be awesome, and uh, I was I was just super, super stoked. I couldn't wait, and it was a bit of a bear. I'd forgotten just how, how difficult it was. This time, at least, I was mounting it in the boatyard and not in the water, so the risk of dropping anything um, wasn't really there, but it also did mean that I had to hoist hoist mongo up about nine feet to get it into place uh, which presented its own challenges because again like i said the the unit is very heavy i mean it's um it's no lightweight little thing and yeah we got it all mounted on and i'll tell you i mean it it just worked great through thick and thin all the way into the indian ocean uh was where I ended up experimenting. I remember being at a point where I just, I was like broad reaching, but I was still headed like north and I really, or like northwest, northeast. All I wanted to do was go due east, but the winds were westerlies. And uh, I remember going up and just sheeting that main out and dropping that jib. And for whatever reason, that balanced the boat just right. And Sparrow could just sail directly downwind. Mongo was finally doing a great job. And, you know, I think all it came down to was the sail plan I was trying to use, the fine-tuning of of the wind vane and the control lines. And then all of a sudden, boom, I had it all. I could go upwind. I could pinch. I could go hove to. I could go reaching, obviously, broad reaching, dead downwind. Like Mongo now all of a sudden could do it all. And that was... I I will never forget that day. I'm like lying down in the bunk. I'm trying to be as far off the wind as possible. And I'm hearing that staysail slap and bang and fill and then power up. And I'm not even going in the right direction. And I was just so mad. I was just steaming down there. I was stewing. Oh, my gosh. And I remember it was like it was kind of warm uh for the southern ocean so it was like i was kind of i wasn't like sweaty but i was just you know you get so mad sometimes your temperature just rises and then all of a sudden you're not very comfortable in bed or whatever and man oh man i remember stomping up there and just trying and like yelling and screaming and then trying some new stuff and 
that eventually worked. And then I was super stoked. Holy cow. Cause then I could ride straight down. Like the, it was pretty impressive to watch Sparrow. Uh, I believe it was shortly after, uh, cyclone Irving and there was still pretty good swell running and man, oh man, it was just great to watch Sparrow pick up speed, just dead downwind, just the mainsail up and like, oh, she just was flying along finally in the exact right direction that I needed to go due east. Man, I think that was the, I think initially I fell in love with that, that wind vane for sure. But I think that was like the honeymoon right there or the honeymoon phase was over, but that was like the rekindling of my, my love for that, uh, for that wind vane. So boy, that was great. Yeah. Cause then all of a sudden I was like, Oh man, I can sail in any direction I want. Mongo's just got it. I, you know, what else could you actually, uh, ever need? And so, you know, for my money, Hands down, uh, I would always, always go with the Aries wind vane um, over any of the other ones, just because I have that experience, um, the wealth of knowledge that goes with, you know, sailing, you know, 60,000 miles with it. And then just the way that the Aries really links up to the West Sail 32 is, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's like they were made for each other. It really, really is. Um, some of the good you know, in a, in a sort of condensed fashion here, um, consistently, eh, the consistency of how it sails. I mean, I think on the trip around the world, I only crash jibed like five times, three to five times. And most of those, it was my own damn fault. Cause I was just sailing too far downwind. Didn't have my like little few, few degrees of, of buffer zone there. Um, but pretty much, it could handle winds up into the high 40s, low 50s, and then usually I needed to be up there and sort of messing with it. I'd always wanted to make a smaller blade for those really heavy wind days, but, uh, you know, she's she's definitely done well in some pretty ugly weather. And, um, you know, like I said, it was one of those things where I would be running with the, the wind the winds would, you know, a squall would come in over the top of like a gale or a severe gale. And now the wind is, you know, in the 50s to the 60s. And it's like, whoa, and it only lasts for a little bit. But that was when I would hop up on deck and then have to sort of help Sparrow. Uh, but again, I think that more more than anything, it was probably the, the sail plan that I was using. Um, normally, once, once I remember in the Pacific getting in, uh, it was like a force 10 gale. And that one, I was stripped all the way down to just a storm jib, no mainsail at all. And Mongo did great. I thought the wind blade part of it, the board was going to break a few times. It would get pushed over really far. And that wind is just honking on it. But again, they're flexible. And I think that's part of their strength, uh, overall, but consistently the the Aries wind vane just does a great job of sailing the boat. Once you learn it, once you get used to it, um, it really is quite fantastic. Um, in light wind and heavy wind, it can sort of do it all. I, I was pretty shocked at that. You know, I would have thought, I would have thought that it would have had just the, you know, oh, it's great for medium to heavy wind, light winds. You're on your own, but um, you know, it'll actually do pretty well. The only tricky one is is when it's super light winds and you've got a following swell. That that change in you know that change in apparent wind angle is just it's too big it's way way too big but you know you change your your direction you're sailing and that uh, that will help it out 
Um, the strength of it, the overall bulkiness, you know, it's heavy, whatever, it's super strong, and that's what you want out of your wind vane. It's hanging off the back through thick and thin. You want that thing to be as strong as Mongo from Blazing Saddles, which is where ours or mine gets a name from. Um, the fact that it uses the rudder. Mm. This one is probably one of the most clutch factors for me. And and like I said, the Hydrovane, it has its own rudder. It's super beefy. It's pretty big and stuff, but it's minuscule compared to Sparrow's rudder. And I like using Sparrow's rudder. I like using Sparrow's equipment. Um what it was built to sail with, you know, I, I think of the Aries wind vane as a extra tool to then sail the boat properly. Um, the hydro vane is a, a different sort of style where it's sailing the boat instead of the boat sailing itself. Uh, if that makes any sense at all, I'm not sure if it really does. Uh, we'll get into the hydro vane here in a second, but, um, it uses the rudder. Yep, that's that's pretty much the key. Um, it has a lot of small parts um, when it comes to it's it's a very basic system when it comes to the little servo gear, servo pendulum gear. I don't know what it's called. Um, that doesn't really have too many parts on it. You do have to keep your eye on the set screws and things like that, and always check them, make sure nothing's working its way out because it's just constantly moving. Um, there's a lot of little springs and things like that in this little clicker mechanism so that you can, you can change the angle of that wind blade and thus change the angle you're sailing according to the wind. Uh, you can lead those up to the companion way and stuff, which is nice. But if you, if those things broke, got rusted out or whatever, that, that mechanism failed, you can still manually go back there and you can switch the direction of that blade. So Mongo kind of has a fail safe in that, you know, if all those little parts decide to, to freak out on you and, and not work anymore, you can at least still go and manually do the, uh, the motion of this. You can change the angle and everything. So that I see is definitely a positive because you don't want to rely on some stupid little spring or something like that. And that spring goes, and then all of a sudden you don't have your ability to use the thing. I mean, for for all the stuff that's actually being utilized in the wind vane, there's very few parts that are moving, and uh, those parts are pretty beefy. So that's definitely very, very good. Um, the solid mounting, you know, like I said, on the West Sail, it gets hooked directly to the boomkin, but on another boat with a flat transom or something like that, it has mounting for all different types. Um, you can mount it. Uh, it, it just has the two arms. And I think what they typically do on other boats is those two arms come out and then they will like split. So I've seen on other boats where it'll have three or four mount points on the transom through bolted through again, really, really heavy duty because it has to be a really solid, solid fit. And so the mounting of it is definitely pretty, pretty powerful. And it, it's something, like I said, you could do pull-ups off of it. No problem at all, which is what you want. Um, the boards, the wind blade boards are very easy to make. You get the, you know, the right thickness of, uh, of wood and the, the right type of wood. It's just plywood. So it's not super expensive. You can just cut the template out. They usually come with two brand new ones, cut those out, slap a cup coats of varnish on it or oil it, whatever you want to do. And uh, as long as the weight is the same and the size is the same, 
boom. And you can, I usually keep a stack of about five or six of them down below. So if one breaks, which in my whole uh, time with the wind vanes, uh, I have only broken one. And it was just an oddball wave that came out of a different direction. It broke straight over the stern, and uh, the breaker was big enough where it, it engulfed Mongo, and it just snapped it off. And that was actually the blade that went around the world. One blade made it all the way around the world. And I think I think it had been flexed enough where it was starting to rot, you know, down below, um, right at the, the base where it's sort of hooked in to, to Mongo and... Uh, it just sheared right off. I used to have the old nub, but I think I got rid of it. It was gonna I was gonna put it up on the wall. But uh the blade that went around the world. So the blades are really easy to make. Um sort of on the things that things that I'm not too stoked about with it, but I don't really know ways around it. Um you can so that that rudder that's in the water is pretty big. And if you're going to motor for any extended period, you want to bring that rudder out of the water. And that's not an easy operation. The old school one that I had was on a spring-loaded, it was like a collar. So you'd push this collar down or you'd pull it up, I can't remember. And then the hinge would, you could grab the rudder and you could hinge it up and uh, essentially just sort of bungee it off. And that was a real pain in the butt because you're, you're sitting there hanging off of this boomkin trying to do this, and sometimes the weather's not great, and sometimes the waves are a little bit choppy, and you're you're sort of like in this. I I always thought like there should be a better way. There should be an easier. There should be like a line I can pull that releases it, and then another line. But I realized though too that you get those lines if they snag, all of a sudden it comes undone. I don't know. Um, the new system they have has this big sort of. Um, kind of a, like a, a lock nut sort of feature with a big handle on it. But again, this is still a couple feet down below uh, the boomkin. So you're hanging over to unlock this thing, and then you've got to sort of lever it and pull it back up. I mean, you can tie a line on to make the actual motion of pulling the rudder up out of the water a little easier. But all in all, you're still going to have to go and grab this ring. And I know you can do it with a boat hook and everything, but... Um, way faster to do with your hand that's for sure so you just hang over real quick you do it you do it very cautiously always holding on to the boat and stuff and uh you pull it out but it, it is kind of a pain and if it were easier i think like when i'm out on the ocean and i decide like oh the wind is totally quit you know i'm just gonna float here for the rest of the night i would uh rather than tying everything off i would probably pull that rudder out of the water and that way it can't bang around or anything like that um, so the, you know, the, the pulling up of that rudder is kind of a pain. Um, it's a little bit loud. And I think that, I think that is, uh, maybe more geared towards the fact that Mongo's done so many miles and the, some of the bushings need to be replaced. Um, so there's a little bit of play. And when Mongo switches, you know, from one side, when that rudder pivots from one angle to another, Sometimes it'll jar it a little bit, and it's like, conk, conk, conk. And you can hear that echo through the boat, um, and that kind of gets a little annoying. But again, I think with new bushings, that will sort of uh, take that problem away. I know the old one used to do that quite a bit, uh, but I think when Sparrow, when Mongo was there brand new, I don't think it did that at all. Um, so I don't know. I think that that might just be on on 
my own little special thing there. Um, parts have to be ordered. Like you can't you can't just pick up any of the parts at a West Marine or anything. That's kind of a pain. But you can order them, and they're very good about. You know, I I remember calling them up and being like, hey, you know, I need these bushings, um, blah, blah, blah. And it was only a couple of them. They sent me a whole bag of stuff and they sent it for free. They didn't charge me anything, which is pretty cool. Um, so you can get the parts and everything. I do need to order some actually pretty soon. Um, it's not easy to connect the tiller. Oh, the tiller pro. Yeah. So I've, I, you know, I wanted to, and I, I saw that Sam Holmes actually had a video where he, he showed really quickly. Cause I, I'm not sure what wind vane he uses. I want to say it's a monitor, uh, but he had hooked up the tiller pro to it. And that was something I always wanted to do with the Aries, but I still haven't sort of figured out a way to do it yet. Um, just sort of where it is on the boat and how the West sail is set up and, and being able to get it sort of mounted, but it'd be really nice. And I think it's still possible for sure. But if you can, if the tiller pro can actually use the wind vane instead of pushing on that tiller, it uses way less electricity and it's much easier on the motor in that little tiller pilot. Um, so, but I, I still haven't solved that query yet. So I'm, I'm going to chalk that into the negatives. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, the cost 5k, but it's one of those things where I think it's well worth it. So I don't know if I'd put that in the negative or not, you know, obviously it'd be great if it was two grand, uh, that'd be a little bit nicer, but in any event, um, those are sort of the pros and cons of, of Mongo and of the Aries. And, uh, hopefully that's been a little informative. Um, it was really interesting when I hopped on that other West sale 32, uh, that Mark and Stephanie purchased shout out Mark and Steph. Hope you, you guys are doing well. Um, see you out there on the ocean. Hey, hey, um, it was really cool. Cause they had the hydrovane. They had a brand new one. It, the way it was mounted up to the boat was super bulletproof, really, really strong. Um, you know, it was basically mounted underneath the boomkin, I believe, but not mounted to it. I think it went through the actual hull of the boat and the mounting was really, really heavy duty and essentially a very, very similar, similar sort of design. The, uh, as far as, you know, it's got a wind blade in the air. This one is, is sort of like a frame that has like canvas or, um, some sort of flexible sail material that's kind of cool. It's neatly like wrapped around it and it's laced up and it looks pretty slick. It's red and everything. Um, but it's pretty large. Uh, it's much larger than the wind blade that you would install on Sparrow. So I, I could see that as being a little bit of an issue, you know, if you're trying to deal with it in heavy weather and something's going a little bit iffy and, and all that sort of stuff. It's like, holy smokes. Um, the mechanism to use it was pretty easy. Um, you would just, you can disengage it and engage it very easily, much, much, uh, much nicer than, than Mongo. Mongo is kind of one of those things where if you want to stop using it and not get any wear and tear on it, you essentially have to take the wind blade out and then pull the rudder out of the water and lock it into place. Um, with the hydrovane, you can just disengage it and then it's good. It's not really, it doesn't seem to be wearing and tearing on anything. You probably want to take the wind blade down, I suppose, but I don't even know if you really have to do that. Um, 
there seem to be some inner workings on the hydrovane that I don't, I didn't get the, you know, we, we sailed for a week and we utilized it maybe two or three times. So by no means am I an expert on the hydrovane. So please don't, don't take uh, what I say as uh, gospel, but essentially it seemed to work really well. The big difference here though, is that it has a big beefy rudder and that rudder, you know, you, you take the tiller and you tie that off of the boat. So now you're just streamlined rudders in the middle now you're using the Hydroblades rudder to steer the boat. And I was a little suspect when we first went out and tried it. I was like, man, how's that going to steer Westsail 32, man? What? And it did. It did a really decent job. We never got it out in more than maybe like seven, eight knots of wind. But sometimes that's a little more proving than putting it into 15 to 20 knots of wind because if it can handle it in light winds that means it's getting the grip and it's it's able to to move that boat around and and just like the the Aries you have to fine tune it you you know that one you're sort of just pulling this cord so the Aries you're each click it's like you click once and that's supposed to be like six degrees or something change of course and with hydrovane it's just smooth so you can just pull it and you know push it, and that that wind the the wind blade that's in the air just kind of moves. So you can adjust it really, really fine tune it and everything, and uh, seem to work really well. And then it has different sort of gear ratio for light winds, medium winds, and heavy winds. And like I said, we only got to use the light wind sort of uh, setting on that, but um, it did seem to work. I mean, overall, it was really. Built strong. Everything looked really tough. It had great mounting. Um, it seemed to be pretty streamlined. Uh, it, it seemed, you know, when you when you hold on to it, when you grab it, when you look at this thing, you, you know that it's it's pretty well uh, well built. It's nothing flimsy about it. Um, there's a few things on the monitor wind vane when you look at it, and you're like, boy, that's kind of tiny. Um, you know, for something that's going to be taking a lot of load every once in a while and, you know, be in constant motion. But again, I have not used a monitor, so I'm not going to say if and or anything about it. Um, and I've not used a Cape Horn, so I don't I don't really know. And I and I don't want to I don't want to preach on anything that I don't know. So um, all I really want to talk about is the Aries because Mongo's the best. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I don't know the hydrovane definitely, it was different. Um, those are, they're making them brand new as well. So that's always a good thing that you can, you know, you don't have to go. I think for a long time with the Aries, you had to find old used ones cause those were the only ones on the market and, um, you couldn't buy new ones and to be able to buy new ones and get the new parts is actually a, a huge, huge bonus because if you didn't have that, then it's, you know, it's uh, kind of like you're owning some sort of antique or whatever. And, I don't know. There's something nice about being able to get brand new stuff, um, especially replacement parts and stuff. And with the Hydrovane, you would definitely be able to do that. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to try and compare the two, but uh, I just wanted to give you a little little bit of information about about both of them. But um, yeah, that's that's pretty much all all I have at this point. Um, mm, I did want to tell the tale real quickly there was there was one and I, I believe it was it was on this no it wasn't on the last voyage it might have been the last voyage or the voyage in 2021 both out in the atlantic uh, both disasters 2021 was going through the eye of wanda but 
I remember being in Decent Breeze, you know, 10, 12, 15 knots, something like that. And I was broad reaching. So probably had staysail, maybe a jib and a mainsail up. And all of a sudden, Sparrow crash jived. Like, boom, crash. I was like, whoa, what the heck happened? Da, da, da. And every once in a while, you know, something like that will happen. Like Sparrow will just like, it almost like gets, or not Sparrow, but Mongo will get like sort of stuck. You know, a lot of times it comes from all of a sudden you start surfing a wave and now there's almost no apparent wind for that second. And the, the, the wind blade sort of hangs over to the side a little bit and then it doesn't come out of that fast enough and you end up doing a big turn. And um, I was kind of used to that. I can kind of avoid those conditions by changing the, the direction I'm sailing on the wind and stuff like that. But um, this was a little different. It was more abrupt and it just, it seemed like, like Mongo was stuck and I'm thinking, Oh, it's getting like caught up on a pin or something. Something is happening. So I'm watching it. I'm looking at it, get it all fixed. We're, we're sailing again. And I'm, I'm watching it from, I think the foredeck and all of a sudden it does it again. It gets stuck over and I'm like, Oh no, what the heck is going on? And still I run back, I correct it. And I, I caught it right before it jibed, thankfully, and uh, man, I was just absolutely baffled. I had no idea what was going on. I'm thinking to myself, the worst. I'm like, oh no, Mongo's like broken, and Mongo can't be trusted anymore. And you know, Mongo and I have quite a few conversations uh, together, and they're they're typically one sided, but uh, Mongo speaks with actions, not words. And I'm sitting there, and then. I, you know, it's, it's one of those Murphy's law things. So I, I set it back up and I'm sitting there on the boomkin and I'm just watching it, waiting for something to happen. And 10, 15 minutes goes by and nothing happens. I don't see anything. Then I go like down below or whatever, go make, and boom, it happens again. And I run up there and I stop it from trying to jibe. And then I go and I sit there and I'm like, nope, I'm going to sit here until it does it again. It's going to do it again. And then I saw what happened. And Essentially, I have two different lines. One of them goes directly to like sort of the casing or the frame of Mongo. In case Mongo's arms broke and fell in the water, I would still be able to retrieve it. Um, the other one, it has this little tripping line or I don't know exactly what it is. It must be the uphaul line for that rudder <coughs> that's attached pretty low on the rudder. And that was a little bit loose. A little looser than it should have been. And what was happening is just as the perfect conditions came along, that line was getting hooked over the little release mechanism, that little arm, that ring that uh, you, can, you can tighten and loosen to be able to bring that rudder up. And what would happen is if that got onto the other side of it and then all of a sudden Mongo tried to change directions a little, all of a sudden the pressure was on it. And it forced that thing to pivot, and thus the wind blade went over as well. And then the boat just kind of stayed on that course until you relieved that pressure. And so I ended up solving that problem with a knife pretty quickly. But, um, yeah, it was just one of those things where even after a million miles sailing with one of those, you know, things are going to – you're always going to have to kind of keep track of them, keep watch on it, and make sure that uh, you can – you know, you, you can spot it where little itty bitty things go wrong. And this was just a, 
a thing where I think I had removed Mongo or maybe when I was doing the cleaning or something like that in the boatyard, I had untied that line. And when I tied it back up, it just wasn't quite as tight or maybe it was a little looser than it should have been. And that was the problem right there. But uh, overall, that thing has been an absolute lifesaver. It's one of, I think, the most crucial safety pieces of safety equipment that I have on the boat as a solo sailor you just can't you you can't beat being able to go down below get a good couple hours of sleep knowing that you're in good hands and Mongo's back there the Aries wind vane just doing a great job keeping you really really well on course not wandering along all over the place and uh and it'll be able to keep up to a pretty severe beating i mean like i said i named mongo after that that character in blazing saddles he's a big lumbering beast uh and essentially that's what mongo does i mean there's just times where i take pity on mongo because it's so miserable out there and it's just getting constantly splashed by salt water and the waves are big and it's cold and it's windy and there's lightning and all this stuff and mongo just sits out there and it just does its thing and it steers sparrow so well better than I ever could uh and it's just it's absolutely amazing to watch I mean like I tell people I Mongo steered around the world 99.999 percent of the time I only took the tiller for you could count it in hours not days and that I think says quite a bit about the reliability the functioning and um just the overall design of that little mechanism and uh you know, Mongo's definitely one of my best friends. It uh, has kept me safe through thick and thin, and I'm still utilizing it today after I think that Mongo's probably got more than 50,000 miles on it, which is saying something for sure. And uh, I've, I've only had to replace a couple of parts, and everything else just keeps on working and working and working. So fantastic product. If you've got a West Sail 32, I definitely would recommend the Aries Wind Vane for, for that one. Um, you know, I do know that, uh, oh, Peter, is it Peter? Um, the guy who was in the, Von, or the Golden Globe, uh, the Irish, uh, or Pat Lawless, that's who it is. Um, Pat had problems with his Aries, some little part something and i still didn't quite get down to exactly what broke on it um but when i heard that he his aries had malfunctioned and, and broke and he couldn't repair it uh i was pretty taken aback by that i couldn't believe it it just it was astounding to me and uh you know i mean uh, terrible to have that happen to anybody but i was always like what how 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 could the uh aries not how 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 can it break? It just doesn't seem like it's something that can. Um, I will say, I guess one thing I am thinking of in that in that term, there was a time where I remember in some pretty ugly weather headed south uh, from Maine down to like Charleston or something. I I remember looking out at Mongo and there was a piece of I always over all of these little set screws I always put tape. I'm a big tape guy. I love tape and stuff. Um, just make sure it can't fall out. And these set screws, the wind blade is, you know, is pivoting on this one big giant pin and it has two set screws in it. 
And I taped it, and I remember seeing the tape starting to come off earlier that day. And I was kind of like, eh, I should probably go tape that again. But I didn't. I was lazy. Uh, really, really bad. Mistake number one. And essentially, um, I'm looking up at it, and I'm kind of like, boy, that wind blade is is really tilting a lot farther than it normally does. It might have only been like six inches, but it was enough to catch my eye. I've watched that thing for so many hours in my life. Uh, and... I kind of look a little closer and I see the pin is like halfway out and I'm like, Oh, and I, you've never seen me get up into that cockpit faster. And, uh, I'm able to go and push that pin back in. I lost a few of the bearings, things like that. Lost some of the washers and the bushings, but, uh, was able to salvage the, and, and I was able to remake a lot of those just on the fly, but essentially, you know, got the set screws back in. They had just eased off enough for this pin to start sliding out as it turned Cause it's on a bit of an angle and um, yeah, essentially almost, almost that would have been pretty disastrous. I did have some, it's a three eighths inch pin uh, I believe. And I did have some, um, some rod like threaded rod said, so I'm sure I could have used that would have destroyed the bearing. So it probably wouldn't have been very good. Maybe I could have smoothed it out or something, but in any event, um, that was as close as I got to like really screwing up. And that was just like me being a knucklehead, not, you know, if you got tape that's starting to come off and it's holding something pretty important, I don't care if it's raining, lightning, whatever, get up there and put some new tape on it. So that's what I've done ever since. Uh, you know, you got to learn from your mistakes. You can't just try and gloss over them, act like they didn't happen. No, own it, get on with it, learn from it and go for it. So yeah, that was, that was a pretty scary moment. I, I remember that being sort of a, uh, as, as my mother used to say, like a come to Jesus moment where you're just like, you're like, Hey, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? Not, not taking care of that. You know, there's an issue there. You know that if you go up and, and correct this, you're gonna, you're not going to have the snowball effect. Cause they, you know, on boats, that's one of the things, if you're not doing that proper maintenance, constantly checking over stuff. And if you see something that doesn't look right and you don't fix it then and there, you're just setting yourself up for some pretty serious, uh, serious disaster. I mean, case in point, I remember seeing a little six inch tear in the old jib that I had on Sparrow one time. And, uh, man, I'm looking at it and I should have, instead of just stared at it, I should have lowered the sail down, done an easy fix. Cause it was just the seam that let go. Uh, but instead I stared at it and I was like, should I take that down? And it, just about the time that I, I think after about five minutes of debating, that was when all of a sudden it let go two, three feet. And now I've got an actual serious project to deal with. And I was lucky that it didn't make it all the way to the leech of the sail and then just shred that right open. Could have fixed it, but I still, you know, it would have been a pain. So Speaking of which, I got to go repair a Hobie 16 main with a little uh, sewing machine power. Uh, and then I got to load up the car and I got to get out of here because I got to talk at six o'clock tonight. Ooh, or six or seven. I don't know. I got to look that up. But in any event, hopefully this was kind of informative. Thank you again, James. Shout out for... Uh, uh, sending in that email and asking this question because it was kind of cool to, to go over some of this stuff. I love, like, if there's things that, that people have questions of, I really, really enjoy uh, being able to share my experiences. Like I always say, I am not an expert. I just have a bit of experience. And uh, so take that for what you will. 
Enjoy. Have a good one. I'll catch you on the road. We are back with the podcast, putting them out, getting them done. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, feeling pretty good, feeling pretty positive. So if anybody out there, Yacht Club, special event, school, anything that you might want to have old J-Rome swing on by, I'm going to be headed south in Michigan and then out to the East Coast to uh, Connecticut and there. We will see from there, but uh, that's my route, so I don't know if you think uh, I'm along the way and I can do an easy pop-by. I'm more than happy to come and uh, talk about sailing around the world, talk about this disaster voyage, or just anything and everything, Um, and we'll figure out how to make that happen. All right, thanks for listening. Until next time.